0: The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. (laughs) So Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? I need you. (laughs) He didn't say that, but. He said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, well, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Christ, please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Unfairness, it is just plain difficult for us to stomach. And this sense of fairness starts at an early age. That's mine. Playgrounds are good places to see how how the establishing of what is fair and what is not is beginning to be figured out. Um, And not only from my perspective, but even from the perspective of others who may be disagreeing with me. And little kids try to figure out, even on the playground, what's fair amongst others as well. That's not fair. And as adults, we are constantly trying to figure out what's fair as well. We may know a bit more about how life can be unfair and we may or may not have come to grips or terms with that knowledge, but we know that's the case. So what about this familiar parable? With which character do you identify? Your understanding on the fairness question depends on who you identify with. The majority of us who hear this story are Kind of lifetimers or long-time Christians and we tend to identify with the workers who have been laboring in the vineyard all or most of the day. There is this tendency to assume that lengthy service in the vineyard entire, entitles us to special benefits or privileges. Well, that may work in the job market, the union, the school, or the playground, but it doesn't apply to this teaching of Jesus. And why not? Because the parable isn't about labor laws or social structure. It says right at the start, it is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. God's generosity gives a living wage to everyone who is in the vineyard working, everyone who shows up enough to live on. If anyone is cheated, it's the owner of the vineyard, which in my understanding of the parable is God. And thus it is God who is being cheated of a full day's work from many of the laborers. And it is God who doesn't complain, whatever, Whenever Jesus tells a parable about the kingdom, you can be sure that God's generosity will be revealed. God's goodness is so great and so encompassing that everyone benefits. Gratitude, thus, is the right response and generosity. As is often the case, the first lesson parallels the subject of the theme of the gospel. So recall, if you will, again, the story of Jonah. I thought I summarized it pretty well in the children as I heard it again. I thought, okay, I got most of that. Um, But the story, I think it would be good to just review it once more in this context. and, And I'll do it a little shorter. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and preach. Preach, you might ask. What? Repentance. And the problem was that Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to go because he didn't want Nineveh to be saved. And he knew God was generous and loving and kind. And Jonah just started, was starting his prophetic ministry and he was getting a call, you could say, to the worst place to go to. It was a foreign mission and you could say he didn't want to be that kind of a prophet or pastor. The people were Assyrians, which meant that they were enemies of Israel. And so what does Jonah do? He runs away to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And then when Jonah was on the ship, apparently it had, he had a little time to think, for he apparently was sleeping down below and didn't realize the storm. So he was content with his decision to go the other way. But a storm is building up while Jonah is sleeping, and the sailors are praying for their lives, and they wake Jonah up because they want him to pray also. They cast lots, roll dice to find the source of their trouble, and apparently their lot casting points to Jonah. Jonah tells them they are correct. He is going against God's will. He's doing the opposite of what God wants him to do. Jonah tells them the waters will calm down if you throw him overboard. And I just, I just, as you could tell when I told it to the kids, okay, we'll throw you overboard. <laughs> and they're like, just happy about it, it seems. And then the storm stops. A large fish swallows him up. And how long was Jonah and the fish? Three days. And those three days become known as the sign of Jonah in the New Testament and refers to the three days Jesus spent in the tomb. While Jonah is in the belly of the tomb of the fish, or in in a sense, the tomb of the fish, he sings this wonderful psalm to God in which he ends with these words, deliverance belongs to the Lord. I had not really noticed that as much till this particular time preparing for this sermon. It had, because it starts out complaining, oh, I called to the Lord out of my distress. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and billows pass over me. And he continues on with that for quite a while. So I think I just kind of quickly read through it and move on. <laughs> um, but it ends with, but deliverance belongs to the Lord. What is the significance of this three chapter four, four chapter story? Some people really like to focus on whether a fish is actually capable of swallowing Jonah whole. There have been a lot of arguments about that. I think Jonah's song is more important than that because it is a song in the midst of crisis. It is a gift when we can praise God when we are in trouble or facing struggle or feeling like we are in a difficult time with chaos all around us. If we can remember that deliverance belongs to God when we have, then we have in that kind of a setting, then we have made a big step to living a life of faith. Because when everything is great, is that faith or is that I'm in control? Everything is good, I've got everything under control. And then we can say, I'm blessed but really is blessed to be a blessing. And so the question becomes, when, when the chips are down, when things are difficult, do we trust God then? And Jonah came to himself when he said, deliverance belongs to the Lord. And Jonah is given the ability, the encouragement to push or the demand to carry out God's call to him. And so he goes forth to Nineveh, and gives that really short sermon and cries out 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed overthrown he doesn't even say unless you repent just 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown and the people believed God and they proclaimed a fast and everyone great and small put on sackclothes. and when the news reached to the king of Nineveh he rose from his throne removed his robe covered himself with sackcloths and sat in ashes in repentance and God changed God's mind and saved them from the disaster he had planned deliverance belongs to God Jonah's mad. He hated the Ninevites, the Assyrians. He saw them as enemies. He wanted them destroyed, and even when he did he and even when he did go, he wasn't trying to be very persuasive. Simply said what God told him to say and nothing more. And the Ninevites made the right choice, but Jonah didn't. Jonah did not want to see God's grace and mercy. He complained to God, walked outside the city, made a booth for himself, sat in it in a snit, and he probably said over and over again, that's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. Jonah thought he was a better judge of justice than God. So did all the day workers in the vineyard. God wants to teach us a lesson about laboring in the kingdom which is not nearly so small and exclusive as we think, maybe as what we would want. The Book of Jonah has a lot in it to think about, all packed into those few short chapters. It challenges our sense of orthodoxy. For example, the sailors on the ship cry out to God, and they don't even know God's name. And yet God listens to them and saves them. Then the people of Nineveh repent and cry out to God, and they also pray to Elohim, a sort of generic name for God, and God hears them too. Jonah knows the more personal, familiar name of Israel, Yahweh, and yet takes a long time for him to figure out that God's grace is so comprehensive, that it includes even those who don't know or, ho- or have only an inc- a little inclination toward God. The shocking truth, the point is that God isn't most concerned about fairness. God is interested in giving life, and God starts with deliverance. God treats the long, faithful folks with the same mercy and graciousness as those who have always lived in God's care and, 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 and are living in it in just a short moment. The invitation to work in the vineyard is not to earn God's love and mercy, but to experience the love and joy of God's party. Jonah wasn't really interested in God's joyful, Party celebrating with the Ninevites. Neither were the ones who worked all day in the field and got the same as those who only worked an hour. Their understanding was it wasn't fair. And Jonah's understanding was it isn't fair. But God says, I can and I will be generous and merciful to those. I choose to be gracious and kind and merciful too. And it seems to me that God hopes that we will all be gracious and merciful and generous and join God's welcome party. Amen.